This evening we're going to consider the butler and the baker, the butler and the baker, that's Genesis and the whole of chapter 40. In Genesis chapter 37, details are given about Joseph, the son of Jacob, being sold to Midianite merchantmen for 20 pieces of silver by his older brothers who envied and hated him. The next chapter, chapter 38, is a departure from looking at the life of Joseph and the spotlight is on one of Joseph's older brothers, Judah, who, amongst other things, married a pagan woman. After her death, he went on a journey to Timnath and he saw a woman along on the way. Her face was veiled and he bought sexual favours from her, believing her to be a prostitute. She was, in fact, his daughter-in-law, and her name was Tamar. She had married his eldest son, Ur. Ur was slain by the Lord because of his wickedness. She then married Ur's younger brother, Onan. He, too, committed wickedness and was slain by the Lord. As a result of going with Judah, Tamar gave birth to two sons, one of whom was named Pharaoh's. And Pharaoh's is in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ, as can be seen in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3. Then we come to the next chapter, chapter 39. That picks up on the record of Joseph, and details are given of him being sold by the uh, Midianite merchant men to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. We're told that the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered so much that he was given everything, given charge of everything in Potiphar's house. However, Potiphar's lascivious wife kept making advances towards him, saying, lie with me. Unlike his brother Judah, who seemed to be driven by lust, Joseph responded with the words, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? One day, she grabbed hold of Joseph's outer garment, saying, Lie with me, and he fled. She then falsely accused him of making obscene advances towards her, and her husband Potiphar put him in prison. Even so, once again we're told that the Lord was with Joseph. And I, d- I don't know this to be the case, but to me it's, it's, it seems almost obvious that the Lord was with Joseph by virtue of the fact that Potiphar's wife had accused him, Joseph, of, uh, of making obscene advances towards her. She had his outer garment on her and one would have thought that Potiphar would have had Joseph put to death. After all, Joseph was, all said and done, a slave of Potiphar. He was Potiphar's property, even though he was given charge of everything in Potiphar's household, apart from his wife, of course. But he was put in prison. We're told, we're, we're clear, we're told that the Lord was with him. So much so that we see Joseph being given favour in the sight of the prison keeper. 
The chapter ends with Joseph again prospering and he was given charge of all the other prisoners. There's a, that's a fairly big recap and the reason for it is because as I keep pointing out and as we shall see at a later date, God willing, Joseph eventually prospered so much despite the ups and downs that he became the second most important man in Egypt after Pharaoh in accordance with God's perfect plan which was unfolding at different times in different places and in different ways. That's why I've brought to you three chapters in my recap so that you can see something how the Lord was with Joseph despite him being sold into slavery and so on. This evening we'll continue to see the providence of God at work as Joseph, whom the Lord was with, continues on his roller coaster ride through life and a roller coaster ride that will lead him to greatness in Egypt. What I've referred to as a roller coaster ride, one of the commentators has referred to as a chain of events. He said, The envy of Jacob's sons, the lasciviousness of Potiphar's wife, the disobedience of Pharaoh's servants, which we're going to see this evening, the servants being the chief butler and the chief baker, the anger of the king himself, all meet by a strange concurrence of circumstances in one point, the elevation of Joseph to the right hand of the throne. Remove but one link and the chain is broken asunder. Take away but one single stone and the whole fabric falls to the ground. In chapter 40, Pharaoh's chief butler and his chief baker, who had both been in prison for uh, undisclosed reasons, were not told. They had dreams that made them sad. Joseph noticed that they were sad and he inquired of them. They then told him their dreams and he gave the interpretations. First of all, we'll look at the dreams that the chief butler and the chief baker had. Looking again at chapter 40 and verses 5 and 6. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. As to what they dreamt, the chief butler beheld a vine with three branches that produced ripe grapes. He took the grapes and he squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and then he gave the cup to Pharaoh. As for the chief baker, in his dream, he saw that he had three baskets on his head. There was a variety of a variety of bread in the top basket which the birds ate. You might think it odd, perhaps funny, that the chief baker should have three baskets on his head and an assortment of bread in the top basket unless perhaps you've lived in some far off land like India where you may have seen railway station porters 
carrying huge suitcases upon their heads. Or maybe you've seen women in the forests in India transporting huge bags of eucalyptus leaves on their heads to little huts in the forest where sweet-smelling oils are made through a process of distilling, distilling the eucalyptus leaves. When Joseph saw that both men were sad, he asked them why. They explained that they had dreamed dreams, but they did not have anyone to interpret the dreams. Then they told Joseph about the dreams and he gave them the interpretations. To the chief butler, Joseph said that he would be restored to his royal duties within three days. Also, Joseph asked the chief butler to remember him to Pharaoh. When in verses 14 and 15, he said, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. To the chief baker, Joseph said that within three days he would lose his head, his decapitated body would be hanged on a tree, and that the birds would eat his flesh. Sure enough, on the third day when Pharaoh was celebrating his birthday, both interpretations came to pass. However, Joseph was forgotten by the chief butler. We'll come to a whole bunch of applications. It would be easy to understand if the chief butler and the chief ba- if chief butler and the chief baker were sad if they had some understanding of their dreams, but they didn't. It would be easy to understand if the baker was sad after being told by Joseph, you're going to lose your head in three days. But Joseph saw them the morning after they had their dreams and they were sad. And Joseph saw that they were sad. Even before Joseph had given them the interpretation of their dreams. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to see what was, what, what is it, what was it about those dreams that made them sad? They didn't know what the dreams were about. The, the butler, he simply saw him, uh, three branches from a vine in front of him with ripe grapes and he squeezed the grapes into a cup, gave them cup to Pharaoh. I don't know what's sad about that one. And as for the chief baker, he saw himself with three baskets on his head and bread in the top basket. Okay, there were birds eating the bread in the top basket. But again, is there really anything there to be sad about? But they were sad. That's the thing. Not only were they sad, Joseph saw that they were sad. The very fact that the Lord would, in time to come, use this whole episode as a means of introducing Joseph to Pharaoh meant that they were not ordinary dreams, like you or or I might have. The Lord had put into motion a chain of events, to quote uh, the commentator that I read earlier, 
to put into motion a chain of events that gave the chief butler and the chief baker their dreams and also their sad faces. So that Joseph would inquire of them, give them the interpretations and so on and so on, resulting in Joseph being introduced to Pharaoh, albeit two years later, in circumstances that are given to us in the next chapter and which we'll consider next time, God willing. Suffice to say for now that the eventual introduction of Joseph to Pharaoh would not only be part of God's great plan to bring deliverance through Joseph in a time of famine. I think most of us, if not all of us, know the story and we will get to it in time. Uh, Joseph being in charge of the food in the time of famine in Egypt. But there's more to it than that when you consider And we considered previously that Joseph's eventual rise to greatness in Egypt resulted in his family, which was the beginning of what would multiply and become the children of Israel, living in Egypt until such time over 100 years later, the Lord delivered them with an outstretched arm from their afflictions when, amongst other things, The Lord separated the Red Sea to make an escape route for the children of Israel and then the sea was closed out, um, came together on Pharaoh and his army, destroying them. But what we're seeing here, this chain of events, it would all lead to that. It would all lead to that happening. And so there's an inevitability about Joseph coming into contact with um, Pharaoh, Joseph said to the baker, uh, sorry, the butler, remember me to Pharaoh. When you get out of this place, remember me to Pharaoh. He forgot. But that wasn't the end of the matter. When you look at the bigger picture, the chief butler and the chief baker were only significant in these in the chain in the, the chain of events in that they were instrumental in God's plan to introduce Joseph to Pharaoh that was their part in this or, or at least that was the part of the chief butler he would in time to come introduce Joseph to Pharaoh as for the baker well he was um, decapitated and hanged on a tree and the birds ate his flesh. That was the end of him. Other than that, we're not even told their names. Therefore, the focus in chapter 40 is not so much on Pharaoh's imprisoned servants, the chief butler and the chief baker, but on Joseph, whom the Lord was with. And most of all, the focus is, as always, on the Lord who was working out his purpose to perfection and for his glory. And this is why I I keep doing these recaps, because I want you to get on that journey and see the providence of God as we follow the life of Joseph from being, I'm doing it again, I can't resist it, from being sold into slavery, ending up in Potiphar's house, ending up in prison, and uh, and as we'll see what goes on in time to come. The Lord was with him 
every step of the way, working out his purpose. The interpretation that Joseph gave to the chief butler and the chief baker of the dreams was prophetic in that it revealed something of future events. However, before even hearing from those two men what it was that they had dreamt, Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. John Calvin rightly pointed out, he does not arrogantly transfer to himself what he acknowledges to be peculiar to God, but according to the means which his vocation supplied, he offers them his service. He doesn't take the glory for it though, that's the point. Whilst on the subject of prophetically interpreting dreams, it can be seen in the book of Daniel that Daniel had that gift as well. He even told the dreamer what it was that he dreamt when the dreamer forgot, as I so often forget my dreams. Like Joseph, Daniel made no pretense that the interpretations came from him. For example, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 26, King Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king, and said, The secret which the king have demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Daniel then proceeded to tell the king his dream, and he gave the interpretation of that dream. Therefore, far from being proud or arrogant, both Joseph and Daniel were careful to ascribe glory to God, which of course was the right thing to do. After all, it's not as if they had, or as if anyone else has, any inherent ability to see into the future. More generally, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him, whether ye therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever ye do, do all for the glory of God. Do you make that your daily prayer? But seriously, do you make that your prayer? Even that your thoughts would be so controlled by God that you would think and say and do that which glorifies God. Secondly, God's perfect time and way. Look at verses 14 and then I'm going to read 23, verse 23. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. Verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forget him. Imagine if the chief butler had told Pharaoh about Joseph upon his release from prison instead of forgetting about him. Would that have been good? We don't know. If as soon as he got out of prison, as soon as he was restored to his duties in the palace, 
he, he, he told Pharaoh about this man named Daniel, uh, sorry, named Joseph. Would Pharaoh have even had the slightest interest in, her, in hearing anything about Joseph? Would he have had any interest whatsoever in pardoning Joseph, releasing him from prison? Bearing in mind also that it was his um, captain of the guard, Potiphar, who threw him in prison in the first place. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. As it turned out, a quick look, a sneaky look at chapter 41 and verse 1, reveals that Joseph remained in prison for another two years before the chief butler remembered him uh, and made mention of him to Pharaoh resulting in Joseph standing before Pharaoh at God's appointed time. And he went from being an inmate in prison to the uh, the Prime Minister of Egypt. Two years later though, I can't imagine that Joseph anticipated remaining in prison for two more years And this is just another example of God working out his purposes in his perfect time. As the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as the hymn writer said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. I don't know about you, dear Christian, but in my experience, the greatest example of God working out his purpose in his perfect time and in his perfect way was when, by his grace, I first trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as my saviour from sin. I don't have to think about that at all. If you were to ask me that any time, what was your greatest experience? That's it. Coming to faith in Jesus. Being savingly united to Jesus was without a doubt the highest point of my roller coaster ride through life. And I have often marvelled as I have seen and considered the providence of God at work every step of the way. When I look back, we're not to look back for the wrong reasons. We're we're to look forwards, onwards and upwards. Um, And we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus doesn't mean to say you can't look back to God's gracious dealings with you and that's something I've done time and again and uh, you only see it afterwards I didn't realize at the time but just seeing how the Lord was with me and leading me through one event after another until finally finally he led me to the cross of Christ where I received Jesus as a repentant sinner. That was the high point in my life. 
Even though I'm not able to predict what else will happen in my life, I'm certain that there will be no higher point that I will ever reach in this lifetime than when I came to faith in Jesus. And I trust I have the amen of all the Christians in here. I also know with absolute certainty that when I die, I will ascend even higher to heavenly glory where the God of my salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. Coming back to being savingly united to Jesus, as you know from your own experience, dear Christian, it didn't just happen, did it? It was ordained by God, just as Joseph's eventual rise to greatness in Egypt was ordained by God. Joseph's eventual rise to greatness was made clear back in chapter 37 when he incurred the displeasure of his brothers. Do you remember? He had a couple of dreams uh, which he told his brother about. And the bottom line is in those dreams, his brothers would bow down before him. And his brothers didn't like those dreams and they, they hated him for it. But again, we haven't come to that yet. That's in, uh, in time to come. But that's precisely what would happen. So we already know in chapter 37 that Joseph was destined for great things in the world. And what we're seeing tonight briefly in chapter 40 and what we've been seeing in previous chapters is that chain of events or that roller coaster ride as I put it one thing after another with the Lord with him every step of the way in all the ups and downs of Joseph's life leading him to greatness in Egypt and it most certainly would come to pass because it was of the Lord. And so, if you are not trusting in Jesus as a repentant sinner, then I can tell you that the highest point in your life, whether you've reached it or not at the moment, or whether that highest point is still to come, will be miserably low. Miserably low if you die without having been reconciled to God through faith in his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, after that, after you've died, lo will take on a whole new meaning. For example, the Apostle Paul speaks of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically what that means, who, who believe not the Lord Jesus Christ, who do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will take vengeance with flaming fire. Who shall be punished, these people shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It doesn't get any lower than that, does it? Everlasting punishment in hellfire. Of necessity, the first act of obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've just said, is to believe that Jesus 
has sinlessly uh, has has led or had a sinlessly perfect life on your behalf that he sacrificially laid down his life as he carried your sins in his body at the cross and that he was raised again for your justification believe that and this chain of events which is your life will get as high as it's ever going to get in this lifetime and it will be something that you will cherish for the rest of your life as you praise God for his mercy and his grace towards you in the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son. Amen.